Well, if you've been around here very long, you know that we've been in a series called Acts, the story of the church. And uh, what an amazing story it is. We've been in this for several months. Uh, we've had little pauses here and there because of our, our, our renovation and different things. And um, as we prayed about it as a staff, we've kind of just talked about where we want to go. And we've decided to push pause on our Acts series. And we're going to begin a new series on August 27th. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to come back to Acts next summer and kind of make it a summer series that we hit every summer because we need to continue to learn what it is that the church uh, is created for, how the Lord wants it to work, and what that means for us as a church as we grow as a church. Um, but before we can be the church God wants us to be, we have to be the people God wants us to be because a church is just a gathering of people, right, set apart. That's what a church is. And so for the last 10 months or so, we've talked about what does it mean to be the church? What is the DNA of, of a godly, good church, healthy church? What does that look like? That's been our conversation from, since October. Well, we just thought, you know, as we begin this kind of this new ministry year, which kind of always seems to sort of start with the school year, we decided that we would really focus on what it means to be uh, who God wants us to be as believers in Jesus. So our new series is going to be called Life, and the concept is basically that we're going to discuss what it means to live a life in Christ. Sometimes we forget the basics of what it means to live a life of godliness and a life in Jesus. And so we're going to actually be looking through that. And, and a great book and theologian is going to kind of give us some framework for that uh, by the name of Dallas Willard in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. And we'll have some copies of that for you if you would like to uh, read along through some of that. Well, Brother Jerry did an awesome job last week sharing with us a, the continuation of this story and maybe one of my favorite kind of sections of the book of Acts because we just see all these miracles that God's doing. We see people coming to the, to the street, bringing their sick and their dying. And we, we even see that in, in some cases, people would just rush out to try and somehow be in the shadow of Peter. You know, that, that's pretty awesome. I don't know. I, I, you know, it doesn't really say if, they, if, they heal, if it healed people or not, but... Uh, Sure, I mean, one miracle is as good as, I don't know, maybe it did. But it was, it was incredible. But the more important miracle is that those miracles and those healings led to the miracle of salvation in people's lives. That was the greater miracle. And so I just appreciate Brother Jerry bringing that to us. You know, I, one of the things that I see in um, young churches and in young pastors, um, and it's something I've struggled with in my ministry and, and my history as well, is kind of thinking that you have something to do with what God's doing in the church. Sometimes we, you know, I see so many young pastors just, they kind of, you say they, uh, they believe their own press. You ever heard that phrase? Or maybe they dig their own chili. That's another crazy phrase. But basically what they're saying is, you know what, they, uh, this is happening because of me. And there couldn't be anything farther from the truth. And the times where I've thought that might be the case, the Lord has... Uh, uh, sometimes gently, sometimes not so gently help me understand that is not the case. God is moving. We see it in the book of Acts. We see it here at South City. God is working. He's doing something only God could do. And we can't make the mistake that it's because of us, right? Yet in his grace and his goodness, we have a role to play. There's something he does want of us. And we're going to take a look at that in our text this morning. But, you know, I think about Peter walking down the street Man, if anybody had an ego or could have been overly confident in their abilities in what was happening, it could have been Peter. But we don't see that, right? 
we see him just serving faithfully and being obedient to the story that God is writing. So let's look at it this morning. Listen, our text is going to be a little longer today. And so because of that, I'm not going to read all the text at once. I'm going to read sections of it and unpack it as we go, okay? So let's look at that this morning. Acts 5, verse 17 and 18 says this. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him. That is the party of the Sadducees. And filled with jealousy, they, ar- they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Now the first thing we need to look at this and see is the high priest is Caiaphas. Or he could be speaking of Annas, which would have been his father-in-law. But either way, uh, this guy has been in our story already, right? And we're going to mention some places in just a little bit. But the high priest is tired of it. Brother Jerry spoke on uh, these miracles and all the things that the apostles are doing. Well, it says right after that, the, these high priests get up and they're tired of this. And they go and arrest the apostles. Listen, the thing we need to know about this as we look at this is this. The movement of God will always attract opposition and persecution. That's the first statement on your, on your bulletin this morning. The movement of God will always attract opposition and persecution. It doesn't matter if it's here or 10 buck two. It doesn't matter. Wherever God is moving, whatever he's doing, wherever he's working, there will, all be an, there will always be an attraction of something that will oppose it. And God's people will be persecuted. The first question is, why? God's doing something. What's, what's the reason of that? Well, let's look at our text because we see the very first reason, right? Jealousy. says the high priest and the party that were with him, the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Now, how many churches do you know have blown apart and staffs fallen apart and people been let go and people been frustrated with each other over jealousy? So many I know so many churches that have, that have split and factions and broken apart because of jealousy. This is my hope for us as a church and for me as a, as a man of God. That I truly understand that this is God's story and not mine. And that he is writing this story and each of us have a role to play. But it's his story, right? And we don't have to go comparing our role with someone else's. We don't have to do that because as soon as you start comparing your role with someone else's, I want you to know what the root sin of that is, is pride. I learned that a few years ago. The root sin of comparison is pride. And anytime we begin to compare, we begin to, to struggle with jealousy and pride. Um, here's the second thing I want, I want us to look at. The Sadducees had control of the situation, didn't they? They were a controlling group of people, and they didn't want to lose their leadership status in Jerusalem. See, the Romans had given them sort of a platform for the Jews, and they didn't want to lose status quo. They didn't want to break up status quo with the people. And this new religious sect, you can imagine, thousands of people coming to know Jesus. I told you a few weeks ago, one scholar says 100,000 people came to know Jesus in six months in Jerusalem. That's incredible. So you can imagine the feeling of those who used to be in power feeling like, oh oh boy, what's going on, right? They didn't want to lose control. You know, people are often more concerned about um, following some rules than the movement of God. And that's what we're going to see here in the Sadducees. They didn't want to acknowledge the miracles. You know, it doesn't say anything about the fact that they even 
said anything about the fact that people are being healed. And at the end of, of Brother Jerry's text last week, he said, and they were all healed. Not some of them were healed, or this one was healed, or that. They were all healed. And they don't, they don't acknowledge it because they're so bent on their own way and their own control and their own plans and what only they want to see that they can't even acknowledge the work and movement of God. Listen, something else about movement. When we see God moving in a church, when we see God moving in a business or in a group of people, one of the things that does is it gives us clarity. It helps us see where is God working. Where is God working? Because listen, some churches are more concerned about survival than they're concerned about revival. And we've got to be confident in what it is that we're, we're seeking here. Some churches are struggling to, to keep the lights on or keep up status quo or make sure that you're checking in on all the rules instead of going, Lord, would you give us the heart of God to be on mission for you that we would, we would be focused to be in revival instead of survival mode. We've got to be confident that that's where God is leading us and who we want to be. Here's another reason that people oppose. We have an enemy. We have a great enemy. I love, I love the song that Daryl sang this morning. You know, the mountains shake and demons flee. It's just a reminder that we have an enemy. And as believers in Jesus, we have to, we have to wake up every morning and know we've got an enemy. We're going to be attacked if we're living for him. We're going to be opposed and we're going to be persecuted. Can we be prepared? Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So often our opposition has a face. <laughs> so often our opposition has a name and a personality, and we get real confused, don't we? And we go, man, that guy, no. It's not that guy, it's not that girl, it's not that person. It's bigger than that. We have an enemy, and he uses people. But we need to see beyond and beneath just the surface and realize we're up against something much greater. Listen, Jesus said also that persecution was going to be a promise. It's something that's going to happen. When God's moving, we will be persecuted. Paul promised it in uh, 2 Timothy 3.12. He said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus said this in Matthew, 10, Matthew 5, verse 10. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus promised it, didn't he? Anytime God begins to move, there will be opposition. There will be persecution. we got to prepare our hearts. Here's another thing. In this enemy, it's a spiritual war. And that means we have to be a spiritual people. Or we won't be ready for a spiritual war. The problem is we try to live our lives in a, in a horizontal sort of way. In a sort of a fleshly way. And we just we think fleshly things. No, no, no. If that's the way we live, especially if we're trying to live that way as believers, man, you're going to get beat up constantly. 
Your life won't ever make sense. You won't ever be able to get ahead and do exactly what you've dreamed of or what God has in place for you. You know why? Because you're fighting on an earthly level. We fight against powers and spiritual forces, and therefore we have to be a spiritual people. Here's the second phrase this morning for your work. It's not man's doing. It says, Acts 5 doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. I love that because no man can take credit for opening those doors. No man can take credit for that. God sent an angel to do that, right? You have to acknowledge the fact that the Lord wanted them out. It was his movement. It was his miracle. The apostles had nothing to do with that, but they were obedient. And the angel said, you know what? Leave here and go speak the words of life to the people in the temple. Now, this is a little side note that I think is hilarious. The Sadducees, you remember there's some things that they believe, or don't believe, I should say. They don't believe in miracles, right? They don't believe in resurrection, and they don't believe in angels. I just think that shows a little bit of God's sense of humor, huh? You know what I mean? I mean, the angel shows up to set them free from the prison that the Sadducees had them in. God does the miraculous. He creates the movement. As much as I think I'm creative, as much as I think I have some ideas, I can't make a thing happen. Our staff can't do a thing. God has to create the movement. God has to perform the miracle. God has to do the work that only he can do. Our job is just to be obedient. It's just to be obedient and do what God tells us to do. That's the next line on your card there. It says, our role is to be obedient and to speak with boldness about our life in Christ. God has his role, which is the miraculous and the movement. And our role is what? Obedience. Lord, just let us do what you, what you want us to do. Help us to have the courage and the faith and the ears and the eyes to hear and see and the courage to go, to be obedient to you. Acts 5.21 says this. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came... And those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. I love that. They went to look for them. They weren't there, were they? I don't know why I always hear this open prison door set the captive. I don't know why. Every time I read this passage, I just, my mind is, I'm struggling to not sing that. So I had to just get that out of the way. We see the apostles, they're just being obedient. They're just doing exactly what they've been told to do. They're going to the temple right? They go from the prison to the temple, and they begin to teach. They begin to speak the words of life. What, what is that? What is this? Your, your, your message, or your, your translation may say, the message of this life, or the words of this life. That is the gospel of Jesus. That is the story of God, that he created this world perfectly, and we messed it up, and we live in a fallen condition, and God in his grace sent his one and only son to rescue us. And as he rescues us, we come to know him. And we tell the world about him. 
and one day he will restore all things and make all things new. Go and tell them all the words of this life. Go and tell them the gospel of Jesus. Give them the whole picture. But when I think about them standing out there in the temple, do you realize how defiant that would have seemed? (laughs) I mean, they were just being obedient, but to those leaders, they would have thought, we rounded them up on the streets, put them in prison, and now they're back at our front doorstep preaching, doing the very thing we said not to do. It would, have, it would have come across very defiant. And how embarrassing for those leaders. You know, how embarrassing. They, they have to go now and re-retrieve the people that were supposed to be in prison. We couldn't find them. We don't know where. Oh, there they are, right out the door here. Let's go get them. You know, you can just see the, I can just see this picture, this playing out of my mind of these guards embarrassed and kind of hunkered down like I can't believe. How, how, did, they, you know, how did they get out? Let's continue our our story. Acts 5.26 says this, The captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Do you, do you feel this new development? Do you feel this change in the atmosphere? Let, let me help you see it because this is different than just a, a few days, few weeks ago. Because the temperature of the audience or of the crowd and of the leadership of the temple was much different than this. Let me remind you what they did. This is uh, what they did in Matthew uh, 27, verse 20. It says that the high priest, the same guy, the high priest basically uh, talked the people into to choosing Barabbas instead of Jesus. Remember that? They would let one person go. Well, Barabbas was a murderer, and the high priest talked the people into to having them release the murderer instead of Jesus. And so they released the murderer. There, there was just this sense of, of vitriol in the, in, the, in the audience. They began to shout, Crucify him. Crucify him. I mean, the crowd is just insane. The leadership was insane. In fact, all the disciples fled in fear. And Jesus is left alone to be arrested and murdered on a cross. But that's not what we see in this story, is it? We see this uh, critical mass begin to change. And the atmosphere changes completely. You notice up here in this, in this other uh, group of verses, it says that they were wondering now. This, perplex, this is greatly perplexing to them, and they're wondering what this would come to. Now we're beginning to see fear in their hearts, right? And it says they didn't arrest them by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Do you feel it changing? The, the whole thing is changing from Uh, following the leadership of the Sadducees and leadership of the temple to now God's doing something miraculous. There's a movement and and a feeling and the whole city is changing and now the leadership of the temple is afraid. I love that. Something that's interesting to notice here. (laughs) When the guards come to arrest the apostles, and by the way, this is not just Peter and John. This is all 12 apostles that have been arrested and all 12 apostles that had been freed 
and all 12 apostles now standing to preach. And so when the guards come to arrest them, I just, I think, you know, if, man, if I'm Peter, I might go, no, 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 I got a message. I got a message to preach, and, and man, people are being healed by my shadow. Maybe you guys didn't see that. Maybe you didn't notice that. But he doesn't do that. None of the apostles do that. They quietly submit to the arrest. And, and they very well could have been going to their death. And yet they quietly submit. It just it gives us a little perspective on how we submit to the sovereignty of God. They, they trusted the sovereignty of God. God's in control. And if this is what is planned for us, we'll go. We trust you, Lord. Just a reminder for us as we face struggle and difficulty and persecution. Now, I want you to notice that the council, <laughs> the first thing uh, that happens here is they say, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Did they, why didn't they ask about how they got out? Is it, does anybody wonder that? How did you get out of the prison? I mean, I gotta know. I just think that's so interesting that they don't ask about how they, it's because they're so blinded to the work of God, it doesn't matter. Do you see that? They can't even acknowledge this miracle that directly affected them. They can't acknowledge any miracle. And so they're just saying, hey, we told you not to teach, and here you're teaching somehow outside of the prison. It's like they're saying, listen, don't confuse us with the facts. We've told you to do something, right? Have you ever known anybody like that? They're just, I mean, they're just got the blinders on. I don't want to know anything. This is not what I wanted. This was not my plan. Let's talk about my plan and how it's not going right. Have you ever been that person? I have. I have. God, open our eyes to what you're doing. Here, here's the tragedy. These leaders, they saw Jesus healing and doing miracles. They saw him murdered on a cross. They saw him raised from the grave, the miraculous of death to life. They saw the effect of Pentecost. I mean, crazy miracles. They see God doing amazing things through the, the apostles, healing. Thousands of people following them. And they can't acknowledge any of it because they're blinded to their own plan and their own rule and their own way. Something else that's interesting about this text is the high priest won't acknowledge the name of Jesus. Do you see that? It says, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. He can't even say the name of Jesus. Well, it's, it's interesting how quickly he forgets because I want to draw your attention to Matthew 27, 25. This is right after the same person, the high priest, has, has convinced the people to take Barabbas instead of Jesus. And after they say crucify him, crucify him, they say this interesting phrase that is uh, important to our text today. They say, his blood be on us and on our children. His blood be on us and on our children. Now, what an awful indictment that they're asking for. And yet somehow he's forgotten that phrase. Somehow he doesn't want to speak the name of Jesus. That's because he's backing out of responsibility. Uh, you're not going to bring this man's blood on us. Well, that's what you told Pilate that you wanted. That's what you told him you wanted. 
I love Peter's response to these questions. Acts 5.29 says, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. There's so much amazing theology in just this one little section of Scripture. I want us to look at some of it if we can. First thing is, he mentions again, you might remember in Acts 4 when we studied that, he mentions then that he's got to obey God and not men. You remember that? So he's saying that same message again. They didn't get it. And he's just testifying again. In other words, Peter is consistent in his testimony. Listen, I, I don't care what you say. I've got to do what I've got to do. I've seen things. I know things. I've got to be true to who I am and who God has made me and what I've seen. I've got to be obedient to God rather than men. And then Peter, I love this, listen. Then Peter gives another gospel presentation, another message. But this time it's a little more personal. See, back in Acts 4, uh, 4, Peter says, uh, to the rulers of Jerusalem, to all the people of Jerusalem, you murdered the Messiah, basically. In other words, he gives this blanket, generalized statement of guilt, of accusation. That's not what he does here. Peter goes for the jugular here. He uses a word, in, in the Greek, the word is dikarizo. And what it means is you to put to death with one's own hands. This is the only time this word is used in Scripture. Peter is saying not just to the leaders, not just to this council, I think he's looking right at the high priest. He's saying, you put him to death with your own hands. Do you you feel that? He's not backing away from this moment, by the way. He's stepping into it. He's stepping into it. He's raising it up a notch. You can feel the heat in the room. Peter's intensifying the accusation. He says, who you despised, whom you rejected, Who you executed, God exalted to his right hand as leader, as prince and savior. Now what he's speaking of is that messianic prophecy. Again, bringing back in the fact that you murdered not just a person, not just a rebel. You murdered the Messiah who you rejected. God has exalted the Messiah. And then there's this last piece of this uh, section of scripture that's, very interesting and, and doctrinally uh, sound that we need to, we need to look at. I'll read it to you. It says, and we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. What, what is Peter saying here? <laughs> He's saying something about people who know Jesus. He is saying that if, if you call yourself a Christ follower, if you are saved by the grace and the blood of Jesus, then you should be an obedient people. That's what he's saying. He's saying saved people, people who know Jesus, should be characterized by obedience, that uh, obeying God and the gift of the Holy Spirit is synonymous with saving faith in Jesus. That's what he's saying. And so we need to receive that, and we need to, that's kind of a convicting phrase there. And we make mistakes. We fall all, all the time. I don't want to be... Uh, legalistic or or not grace-giving in this 
But what is the pattern of your life? Is the pattern of your life obedience in Jesus? Or is it the other way around? Let's continue our story. 5.33 in Acts. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do to these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and, nothing, and, and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. Verse 38. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the disciples, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. Here's the next phrase on our card this morning. And something that we all know already. People respond to the truth differently. Different people respond to the truth of the word of God completely differently. And John MacArthur gives us three examples here. He says, you know what? In this text, we get to see how people respond. There's three different ways. I want to bring them out to you. The first way is this. When he says they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. Or some of your texts may say they were cut to the heart. By the way, that's what Hebrews 4.12 says about the word of God, isn't it? It says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what the word of God does. It cuts. And some people respond with violent hostility. You know, do you know anyone like that? You try to tell them something about the Lord. Man, I don't want to hear that. I, I mean, if you're on social media, you're seeing it all the time. <laughs> Violent hostility against the truth of God. These men were cut to the heart and they wanted to kill the apostles. They wanted to kill them. Why? I mean, let's, let's just review for a second. They wanted to kill them because the apostles had denied their belief, right, as Sadducees, by proclaiming the resurrection. They defied their authority by preaching when they had been told to stop. Uh, they accused the Sanhedrin of murdering the Messiah, which, by the way, if you're a spiritual leader and someone accuses you of murder, it's not so good for your spiritual leader job. You know what I'm saying? People kind of go, oh, they, maybe they're not as spiritual as we thought they were, I, it wasn't good for business. And just the apostles' popularity alone, it threatened their power over people. There were several reasons that they wanted to kill them. But the greatest is that the word of God cuts like a knife to our hearts, our intentions, our thoughts. Now, I bet there's somebody even in here maybe that is hostile to the truth of the word of God. It happens. It happens. What's another way that people respond? Well, they respond like Gamaliel. 
This guy's right in the middle, isn't he? He loves everybody and everything. He, he's tolerant indecision is what his problem is. He says, you know what? I, this is what he says. You know what? If these guys succeed, God must be in it. If they don't, then it'll go away. Don't worry about it. Let me tell you what that is. That is the definition of the prosperity gospel. If things are going well, God must be doing something amazing. And, and when you get sick or, man, you don't have enough here, that, whoa, what did you do? God, no. You see, Gamaliel's theology was lazy and wrong. And we can't, we can't trust in that. It seems like he has wisdom. And a lot of the people that you know that are, uh, have a tolerant indecision, they may come across with a lot of wisdom. They kind of hold things in balance, it seems like, but they won't make a choice. They won't make a choice. They'll take a little from here and a little from there and a little from here and a little from there. Tolerant indecision. But it's interesting because they call the apostles to come back in and then they beat them. A lot of theologians think that they flog them, which is bad news. If they beat them, I want you to know that was against Jewish law. And we don't see any uh, opposition from Gamaliel. They, they broke the law, and Gamaliel, I guess he just turned his head, because that's what happens sometimes with people who are, have indecisive actions with Jesus. They just won't pay attention to the things that they don't like, or they'll hold on to certain little aspects of the church or faith. And then we have the third way that we, knew to, we need to respond to the gospel, we need to respond to truth, which is, I pray, the way that you respond. And it's the way we see the, the apostles respond. And saving acceptance. This is what they do. They rejoice in suffering and persecution, which I can't even, I can't even understand. But let's read the story. In Acts 5.41 says, Then they left the presence of the council, re, uh, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Can you wrap your brain around that? They, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. You know, something I realize is, is when God moves, there's going to be persecution. And so as you're doing something in your life to trust the Lord more, you're, you're seeking him more, you're trying to be more obedient to him, you will be persecuted in one way or another. It's a promise, right? But how you respond will determine the authenticity of your faith. Listen to that. How you respond to persecution will determine the authenticity of your faith. That's what uh, Jesus said. Matthew 13, verse 20. Remember, he's telling us a parable of the sower. And I'll just bring out this one aspect of that parable in verse 20. Matthew 13, it says this. As for what was sown on rocky ground... This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and then tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word. Immediately he falls away. See, the thing we see in the apostles' life right here in this moment, in this moment of persecution and struggle and trial, we see authenticity. They are the real deal. They believe what they say, and they're, gonna, they're willing to die for it. And they very well could have died for this in this moment. When persecution comes into your life, 
how do you deal with it? Do we whine? (laughs) Do we wilt? Or God forbid, do we walk away? I had a friend, a good friend, who I got to share Jesus with back in Nashville when we were in Nashville. And he's a big, uh, he's one of the top musicians in the city. And I just, it was an honor to know him and spend time with him. Well, he trusted Jesus, we thought. And we baptized him. And I was discipling him. He was in a men's group with me. We were holding each other accountable. He, he seemed to get it. He received it with joy. And a couple of years later, he didn't even, he didn't even tell me face to face. He called me on the phone. He said, Drew, I, I just got to tell you, man, I don't think we're into this church thing anymore. I said, what? He said, yeah, I just got to tell you, man, I, you know, I just don't think this is for us. Speaking for his whole family. I'd never been told that before. He had been persecuted. There, there were some things in his old life, there were some things that he had been pulled towards, and he couldn't withstand the persecution, and he fell away. I hung up the phone. Listen, I bawled like a baby for almost an hour. I, I was losing... A dear friend, and I couldn't believe it. I didn't know how to respond to it. How are you? Where are you? When things get hard, things get difficult, do you whine or wilt or walk away? And then this is the last statement we'll make this morning in our message. We have to do what the disciples did. Rejoice in suffering and persecution, but... We have to be faithful to tell the story of the Messiah. Acts 5, 42, the last verse of the chapter says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Every day, every day in the temple and from house to house, they didn't cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. That's what we do. God has his role. It's the movement. It's the miracles. Our role is obedience. Our role is to pray. Our role is to seek him and to tell the story. These beautiful words of life, these wonderful words of life of the gospel of Jesus. So I want to recap this morning before we close. God's moving. It's his work. It's not ours. We didn't do anything to cause it. We just have to be obedient. And when we face persecution and opposition, do we see it like the apostles? We say, Lord, I'm honored to be counted worthy enough to suffer. I'm convicted by that. And how do you respond today to the truth of the word of God? Violent hostility, tolerant indecision. I'm not willing to make a decision. I'm going to pick and choose a little of this and a little of that. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father apart from me. We try to make a lot of things work. To, to get to heaven, to know God, to have a life of spirituality, but there's only one way, and that's through Jesus. And when we have saving acceptance, we're willing to walk through persecution and difficulty. My prayer is that we'd be faithful, that every single day, in some way, like Peter, we wouldn't be shying away, like we see the high priest, uh, don't bring that man's blood on me. He shies away. But Peter steps in. Peter comes closer, doesn't he? To the fire. And he says, you know what? I gotta be obedient to God, not men. 
I trust him. I've been a witness to the things he's done. Will you press in? Maybe it's your family member. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a friend at work. Don't shy away. Listen, God is moving. And Acts 1.8 says that he will give you the power that you need to be the witness that you need to be to that person. Let's lean forward. Let's push forward. And let's make him known every single day, wherever we are. Can we do that? Let's pray, church. Father God, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your willingness, Lord, to move among us. And God, I pray that you would help us even to be thankful for the moments in our lives that are persecution, that are opposition, that are difficulty. Lord, I'm going to be the first one to admit that that's probably not the first place I go is rejoicing. I go to whining. I go to woe is me. I go to comparison. Look at somebody else's ministry, somebody else's life. Why can't mine be like theirs? God, would you forgive me? God, would you give me a perspective of knowing and loving and serving and making you known in such a way that I would say, God, to suffer is an honor that you would count us worthy to suffer for the glory of your name. Give us that courage. Give us that perspective above the things of our lives. Help us to trust you, Lord, with all that we are and all that we have and all that you want to do in us and through us for the glory of Jesus for the gospel. In your precious name we pray.